The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation, or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On this show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover the steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nasser, and I'm a mortgage broker at Lens Street, and I really love helping people buy their first home. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by John Ng. John is an experienced mortgage broker and owner of Money Jar Concept, a mortgage brokerage based in the inner west of Melbourne. Today with John, we're going to focus on a foundational topic for all first home buyers, we'll be breaking down some of the jargon you often hear banks or mortgage brokers talk about. For those that are unsure, jargon are terms or phrases that have specific meaning within an industry. As first home buyers, there's a good chance you'll be hearing about these terms for the first time. So this episode will help you in understanding the main terms and phrases that are used and what they actually mean. We'll be going through such terms as equity, genuine savings, lender's mortgage insurance, loan to value ratio, plus a lot more. Thanks, John, for your time and insight on today's episode. Lots to get through, so let's jump in. John, well, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it, and hopefully we'll be providing a lot of insights to our audience and to our listeners. Obviously, today we're discussing mortgage jargon. As a mortgage broker, you are fully aware as to all the terms and terminologies that we come across on a daily basis. And when someone's starting their journey of purchasing a home, Obviously, the home loan is such a critical component, but when you delve into that space, there is just so many terms and so many little phrases that to you and me might be common. However, to someone experiencing this for the first time, it's completely out of this world. So the point of today is just to try and go through a few of these terms and terminologies just to break it down so that in the event that they are speaking to a mortgage broker or they're looking online at home loan options, it's sort of going to allow them to give them a bit of insight. But before we even get into that, can you give us a bit of a background as to who you are, who's John, and what does John do? Hello, it's me, John Ng. I am a broker based up here in the inner west of Melbourne, about seven kilometers west of the CBD. I am a migrant, so first generation from Singapore, and spent seven and a half years at NAB. The word to describe me, someone said, I'm a disgruntled banker, <laughs> and then just wasn't satisfied with what the bank could offer. So I thought, I'm going to flip the narrative and do it my way. Started my business. Money Jar Concept is the name and started the business just five years ago. And it's the best thing I've ever done. I'm just glad I did that. I guess, what was it working with the bank? I mean, you've seen it from both sides of the equation. What was the thing that frustrated you most <coughs> working with the bank? Anyone who was coming from a big four bank or big five, now actually, Macquarie is number three. So big five bank will tell you it's a great learning ground to learn heaps of stuff. But the problem is they only like to cherry pick certain type of clientele of consumers. And if some consumers don't fall within the comfort level or the risk appetite, they'll say no. And I know there were legitimately some consumers out there who would qualify for a loan, but because it didn't fit the appetite, they said no. And then I was becoming aware of brokers as well. And I realized they had options that NAP Bank or like myself couldn't offer. And when I started doing a bit of deep diving, I just realized, whoa. Okay, where have I been the last few years? I need to check this out. And how long have you been doing that for now? Five years and turning five in December. Pretty experienced. Can't see myself doing this for a long time. 
Talking about experience, though, I mean, we learn something new every day, though. I mean, I know a lot of brokers who've been in the industry a long time, but you still learn something new every time you see something you haven't yeah. experienced before. Yeah, every day is a school day. You don't know what's going to come around the corner. So I'm um, always learning. Completely Correct. agree with that. For the people that we're speaking to today, they're also learning too. And they're uh, in that stage, fortunately for us, where we know what we're talking about to some extent in this particular field and this in this area. I think so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope so yeah, as yeah. well. And hopefully we can impart some knowledge to them. So as I've sort of already mentioned, we're going to go through some jargon terms and try and explain those terms to the listeners. So it gives them a bit of a perspective in terms of what it may be. So when they come on, when they do that loan sort of process of purchasing a home, they're more familiar. I'm going to work it alphabetically ordered as well. So it will go through that type of sequence <laughs> yeah, just to have yeah. some type of consistency in, in how we proceed. And the first term that we're going to discuss is what's called an AIP or an approval in principle, also known as a pre-approval. So can you run us through what that is, John? I would not talk about the distinction between different types of pre-approval. I'll just talk about what a pre-approval really is. It's just a piece of paper that allows you to have a bit of confidence knowing that the lender of your choice had already looked at your income, looked at your debts, looked at your expenses, and you say, okay, based on the figures you've given to us, you can borrow a million dollars. Here's a piece of paper. It is valid for 90 days. Go forth and buy a home <laughs> and come back with the contract. That's really what a pre-approval is. I try and avoid acronyms like AIP. Yeah. So I actually just put pre-approval. I don't put AIP. Some people might just see that term or they might hear of approval in principle if they're Googling or searching and it's that relevance of that term. But you're right, that pre-approval, there's a lot to discuss in that and it's probably a topic in its own right in terms of how you get ready for one. Assets. We see this term thrown around quite a lot. And when you're speaking to a broker or to your bank, they're going to ask about your assets. What's an asset? In a nutshell, the savings that you have, any vehicles that you may own, any homes that you may own. But obviously, this being a podcast with first home buyers, unlikely you have your own home. And the thing that a lot of brokers or even consumers fail to look at, and other things as well, is if you've got any shares that's generating some kind of residual income on a monthly or annual basis. And I know a lot of first home buyers these days, the millennial types were very switched on with micro investments and the rises and the spaceships type, they have a bit of investments and those can be considered assets. And another asset that is a nice to look at, but it's not a key consideration, but a lot of first-time buyers don't consider is potentially what your super balance is, but also what's embedded within it, such as your life and death insurance and your income protection. Because these are things that will cover you should something happen, unfortunate, befall on you. So your partner, or whoever you've got as a beneficiary will benefit from. These are things that even though you don't think about it now, as part of your getting a pre-approval or getting financed as a first-home buyer, you should speak to your broker about who will point you towards in the right direction by have a chat with a financial planner or someone who's more qualified in that way. Absolutely. Speak to your broker purely for the home loan. Yeah, obviously, but that opens up so many things to think about when it comes to your home loan. And looking at your superannuation as an asset is important, but what's within that super is critical too, because there are mm. insurances that do make up and prize of your super and being mindful of that because you are taking on probably the biggest liability that you're going to have. So being mindful that you're adequately covered is critical. So yeah, looking at it as an asset, I think it's a great way to think about it. The next term, basic variable rate or a standard variable rate. There's so many ways to skin a cat, isn't it? Yeah. So let's go with basic variable rate. When the broker looks at the basic variable rate, it is just a product that's offered to a lender that's on a variable rate, which means obviously rates go up and down, but it doesn't have an offset account. That's the basic product. But for consumers, a basic variable rate is what the variable rate is if you include the annual fees and any other fees that's involved in it. 
also known as a standard variable rate. But I'll be honest, though, a lot of the things that you see about basic variable rate or standard variable rate on the website, it's quite misleading because they tend to be only for a certain amount over 25 years. So if your loan is $500,000, that's on the assumption that the rate stays the same for the next 30 years, which is not going to happen. And that's on the assumption that you stay with them for 30 years, which is never going to happen as well. Yeah. Because a good broker will be revisiting your situation every year, ensuring that we keep the lenders honest. So they don't pass on those high rates to you and we consistently keep them in check. So you pass on some better rates on to you. And in two or three years time, our purpose is to revisit your home loan again. And if they can't come to the party, we'll take you out of the lender and move you somewhere else. So you consistently be at the forefront of the best possible rates. Obviously, I do to your situation, rates isn't everything, but you know what I mean. And you always have the best possible rates. So when I see standard variable rates or basic variable rates, a lot of it is just fluff because that's the last thing we need. We don't need another rate that's going to confuse people out there. And when we go back, so if we just focus say, on what a variable rate is, mm. so if we remove the basic or the standard, what's a variable rate? It's a rate that fluctuates, that goes up and down. At the moment, the rate is dropping and we're looking at around 2.1s, obviously, T's and C's apply. Yeah. And you also get the cons yeah. should rates go up. Yeah. But historically, the last six, seven years, fixed rates have been dramatically lower than variable rates, but the reverse is true now. I guess now that we're talking about rate, what we might do is we'll go through that. You mentioned fixed rates. So the variable rate you've mentioned fluctuates. So it goes up and down based on the Reserve Bank of Australia's policies and what they decide to implement. What's a fixed rate? Fixed rate is you're playing Russian roulette, really. But a lot of people are looking at going down the fixed rate option. So you're effectively guaranteeing yourself the same rate over the next two or it's within one to five years. I always tell people two years is a sweet spot. One year is just too soon. We'll be revisiting the situation again, whereas three to five years is a bit too long. So let's just say you lock your rate in for two years. Your rate will remain the same. And we are currently in a rising rate environment. So should you get a rate of, say, 3% locked in for the next three years, Maybe the first six months, the rates are still at 2.8 and you're actually losing out. From month seven onwards, the rates might jump to 3.2. Then you'll be laughing all the way to the bank for the next 18 months because everyone's paying 3.2 or 3.3, but you're paying three. It's great for those people who want a bit of certainty. And we have seen a lot of people locking in their rates over the last two years with rates this low. A lot of them will come into a bit of a rate shock when mm. the two or three years finish and rates are increasing. Do you see anything particularly with first home buyers as to which option they generally go? Without making any recommendations to them, I'm sure they know what the rate environment is at the moment. A lot of them also don't realize that you can actually split your home loan rate 50-50, 80-20. Most of them think you have to have a 100% fixed rate or 100% variable rate. So when I give them the option, a lot of them become more creative and say, well, John, could we consider 70% variable, 30% fixed? And absolutely, you can split it any way you want. And first home buyers are entitled to it. They don't mind a little bit of choice, as they know they might have a bit of 50, 50, 60, 40, but that's about it as they'll take it. Maybe in a couple of years' time, once they've had a home loan for a while, they become more savvy with it. Yeah. then we can consider other options. Yeah. And that's what I see as well from, I guess, from my perspective. I see generally a lot of first-home buyers, and again, not making recommendations, do initially think of that fixed interest rate period to begin with. And that's their first thought because they want that stability of certainty that the fixed repayments provide. And then after that two-year period or whatever it might be, they might look to become a bit more complicated in terms of that loan structure and what that looks like. Definitely, you need to speak to somebody about it in terms of what's right for you. But you did mention split loans, and that's a term that we were mm. going to get to. But seeing we've already mentioned it, let's touch on oh. that. 
I jumped to S yeah, straight up. It. Yeah, we did move on to S. So <laughs> see, we're talking about it. I think it's good to touch on it. So you did yeah. mention a split loan. And what is a split loan? So a split loan, let's just say you buy a property. The property is a million dollars. Let's just say it's a million dollars, the round figure. And then you've got 20%. Hooray. So 20% of a million is 200. So what you really need to borrow is 800. Out of this 800, you can borrow it in any way that you want. So you could have a 100% variable loan. So the entire 800,000 is variable or the entire 800,000 could be fixed. Or you could say, I want to split 50-50. So 400,000 is fixed and 400,000 is variable. Or you could say 500 is fixed, 300 is variable. Any permutation really, as long as it takes your best interest, and you can obviously have it aligned with an offset account, which is O, letter O, but we'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm, but that's really what a split loan is. And a lot of people have been taking split loans over the last few years because they can see the benefit. And what's the main benefit that you see of a split loan? This is a lot, a lot of my NAP training days coming into play. So <laughs> with a fixed rate, you get stability, whereas a variable rate, you get flexibility. So having a split loan gives you the benefit of stability and flexibility. That's a nice place to be. We were going to touch on the comparison rate. So what's a comparison rate? It's they're legally bounded. They have to put what the true cost of a rate is, of a home loan is. So when you see someone offering 1.99%, okay, that's fine. That's a nice, sexy rate you've got there. But what is the comparison rate? Comparison rate includes the annual fees embedded into it, the application fees. So the true rate you're paying might not be 1.99. It might be 237 and that includes the fees that you might be paying for the next few years. But again, like what I talked about a few minutes ago, no one really sticks with a lender for 30 years unless you went direct to a bank. So how does a bank come up with it? Yeah, I think you touched on it earlier too, how the parameters that they use to form the comparison rate is the fees and the application of fee that's associated. But other aspects as well, what, what else is it that they use? And what's the term that they use and things like that for a comparison rate? I find that comparison rates are just based on $150,000 over 25 years. Annual fees, monthly fees. Some loans don't have any annual fees, but they'll charge you if you want to have an offset. There's $10 a month. And then if there's an annual fee, it could be $350 a month. And there's an application fee of $600 a month. And they might include a valuation fee because, you know, they need to value your home mm. of $300 a month, uh, not a month, $300 <laughs> uh, one-off, an application fee of $350 one off So yeah. all these things add up and you're not really paying $1.99 anymore. And I think That's that loan term as well, yeah. so it's 25 years that they use and it's $150,000, right? Which is grossly inaccurate. And in this day and age, I understand why they put that in place. But is that really another figure that is needed, mm. given that it's very confusing right now for mm. a lot of first-time buyers? Mm. But our yeah. job is there to break down what the actual costs are. Yeah. And if they, we know we're going to stay, they're not going to stay with ING, for example, for two years. Mm-hmm. We'll just calculate what the true cost is over two years, not 25 years. Cool. All right. Well, and in the same light as costs, and this is going now back to our alphabetical order, which has sort of gone all over the shop now, but that's, (laughs) I've made a note of what we've gone through and we haven't gone through. So we're back at B. Break costs. What's a break cost and when are they incurred? Let's just say you locked in yourself in for a two year rate and then 15 months down the road, touch wood, this doesn't happen to anyone, but let's just say you two decide to go your separate ways. And then you want to sell the property because the the asset has to be sold and then the profits are divided between two partners. So you have to break the contract. So there are break fees involved. And let's just say it's a 24-month fixed term and you're leaving them at 15 months, for example. There is nine months left of fees that you might have to incur. And every lender is different. 
I actually don't know the calculation as well. It's actually, it's yeah. very random. So you got to contact the lender and they will tell you what the approximate fees are. The broker wouldn't know either. I honestly don't know. And that's what the approximate brick fees are. And when you do leave the lender, you also incur a discharge fee that is for leaving the lender. And th this is the same for every lender, which is about three or three hundred fifty dollars So mm -hmm. these are the standard brick costs mm -hmm. involved. A term that we all would have heard a lot of, and maybe a simple explanation, but the term deposit. What's a deposit? If using the one million dollar home again, if it's a million dollars, you've got five percent a fifty thousand dollar deposit. That's what you can use to contribute. So the balance, which is nine hundred and fifty thousand or ninety five percent, is for you to borrow. It's yeah. what your upfront payment would be. Yeah, exactly. Upfront payment. Yep, it's your, yeah, it's your upfront contribution cost or your upfront contribution. I love this. You're actually making me think because this is, even though it's so simple, sometimes it's the simple things that you go, oh. Uh, yeah, how do I explain that? How like, do yeah. I phrase this? Yeah. How do I phrase this? What's, yeah. the, what's the deposit? Putting yeah. me on a spot here. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, all, I mean, but I'm the same too. Like if you would ask me what the deposit is, I mean, it's just sort of a common understanding. And there are terms that we do know quite well. And it's because of the fact that they're in conversation and a deposit it doesn't just apply to purchasing a home. It, there's a whole heap of applications for that word. So there are terms that are more generalistic in nature that work in the same way. And there are more that are more in tune to being a bit more particular to home loans. And one of those words I think that are is equity. So um, equity is another term that is used quite a lot, not necessarily for first home buyers, but it's something that will hopefully be something they should be mindful of going forward. So what is equity? Time, using the million dollar home as an example, if you bought a million dollar home and you pay 5%, that's the 50,000 into the home. So your loan is 950. But because the property is worth a million, you actually have 50 grand of equity that you have that you've just gained. So that wouldn't be a very good way of describing what equity is because you're probably thinking, but I paid 50 grand. So that's not really equity. So let's just say we fast forward, say 12 months. And as we all know, we all seen how capital cities have all grown dramatically in devaluation. So your million dollar home is now worth 1.1. Let's just say your loan is still 950, okay? But your property is now worth 1.1. Your equity has actually grown $100,000. That's how much equity you've made plus that 50 that you have. So you have $150,000 worth of equity and you've done pretty much nothing because the property has just grown in price. Yeah. And well done if that happens to you. Yeah. <laughs> So it's that difference between, I guess, your loan amount and what you have owing and what that value of that property ends up being and that difference is there. What can you do with equity? I've seen so many creative users of equity, okay. but to keep it simple, knowing that this is for first-time buyers, debt consolidation. You might want to use 30 grand of the 150 that we talked about to pay off a couple of the credit cards and your personal loan. I've seen people take equity out for, I don't recommend this, no. uh, holiday. Yep. For a wedding, and I've also seen some smart, savvy people use equity that they've made doing nothing as a deposit for their first investment. But that's another topic for another day. Wait, so, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. the important thing to note is that equity is a pretty powerful, I guess, area. You can do anything with it, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. an important term. Thanks for joining us for part one of this two-part chat. Join me next week as we conclude the conversation. You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by LendStreet. LendStreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex. 
so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lenstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser, and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.